Welcome to Mountain State Cardboard, a podcast about sports, sports cards, and life from the Mountain State of West Virginia. If you're looking for guaranteed hot picks and lead pipe lock advice on the next big thing in sports cards, just turn around now. This isn't the show for you. This is a fun conversation about the hobby we all love. Another week, another episode of Mountain State Cardboard. I'm Tim. This is my podcast about sports, sports cards, and life. Hope everyone's had a great week since uh, since last we chatted. Uh, I know I have. Last week was a short week because of Labor Day, so uh, got to the weekend a little bit quicker. Great week of sports, great weekend of sports. Really great to have the NFL back. Uh, there was that cool moment on Thursday where all four major North American sports were playing on the same day. Uh, you had Major League Baseball, NBA basketball, the NHL, and opening night of the NFL all on the same day, throw in the WNBA and Major League Soccer to boot, and it was a full day of sports on Thursday and a really great weekend. College football back, uh, my alma mater, West Virginia University, taking on Eastern Kentucky, winning big. Uh, something funny uh, happening in that game, and and this is, uh, it's Mountain State Cardboard, so, you know, it's okay that we talk, uh, you know, West Virginia-specific stuff, but... Um, there's an interesting phenomenon in West Virginia, and I'm sure it happens a lot of other places where there are two universities in the state. You know, you've got West Virginia University and Marshall University in uh, uh, West Virginia. Shout out to the Thundering Herd, alma mater of uh, Randy uh, Moss, among others, uh, Chad Pennington. Um, but, uh, you know, Marshall's got a little bit of that uh, little brother syndrome. So uh, two weeks ago, Marshall had played Eastern Kentucky and won, I think, 59 to nothing. Um, West Virginia University played Eastern Kentucky this past weekend, won 56 to 10. Uh, clearly, the Colonel's not uh, on the FBS level. But um, the announcers at the end of the game were joking that uh, by transitive property, Marshall will now declare that they are better than West Virginia University because against a common opponent, they won 59 nothing as opposed to 56 10. And what those announcers, I'm sure they have enough experience to know, uh, they're 100% right because that's exactly what's happening in the state of West Virginia now. And it's just, it's all fun. It's it, it's actually normal, I think, now to have sports back or it, it's helping us feel normal. Uh, but uh, man, it was really great to have college football back this weekend and the NFL back yesterday. And I, I posted on Instagram yesterday that I'm more excited about this NFL season than I have been for any season in quite some time. Uh, but um it was just great to binge football yesterday. Uh, I sorted a whole bunch of cards. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, but just really great, really great to have the NFL back and uh, be able to watch sports. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of months in the run-up to the NFL season that uh, DFS players coming into the hobby uh, would impact uh, card prices. And I truly feel like we saw that playing out yesterday. I'm looking right now as we uh, as we air and and or as I record, and it's Monday morning at about nine o'clock, and uh, I'm looking at all of I'm looking at the top trending cards uh, on Cardstock. And if you're not using Cardstock, um, take a look at it. It's super user friendly. Uh, I've not sent any cards into Cardstock, but I've deposited some money in an account and am sort of day trading with cards. Um, but I'm looking at the top 10 trending cards on cardstock, and of the top 10, nine are football. The only one that's not is uh, Tyler Harrow, uh, 
who's a little down the line at like number seven. Um, but nine of the top 10 trending cards on cardstock are football players. And of those, um, one, two, three, four are non-quarterbacks. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Devontae Adams, Henry Ruggs, and Christian McCaffrey. Oh, and uh, actually, no. Throw in uh, Mark Andrews, uh, tight end from the Baltimore Ravens as well. Uh, so you've got, uh, what, five guys then. One, two, three, four. Yeah, five guys. Five of the top ten cards on cardstock are non-QB football players. So I think that this theory that DFS and fantasy players coming into the hobby impacting card prices makes a ton of sense. And I think it's it's week one. It's early. Small sample size alert, right? But I think that if you look at that, just that week one, I think that tells us something. And it backs up what uh, a whole lot of us uh, that have been talking cards have been saying. And it stands to reason because, you know, up until this year, it was quarterback driven in the hobby. You know, it was it was Teddy Bridgewater. It was it was Patrick Mahomes. It's Kyler Murray who had a great game yesterday, by the way. And the Kyler Murray DeAndre Hopkins connection is legit. Uh, I know I don't I don't think DeAndre found the uh, I don't think Hopkins found the end zone yesterday, but I, I, he's going to and he's going to a lot if this keeps up because that connection is strong. Uh, week one, um, but. You know, DFS players coming in and and they've invested money in in individual players from a performance level on the field. And I think they looked around and they're looking around and they're like, wait a minute, you're telling me that, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is a, a quarter of the price of, of Kyler Murray? That makes no sense. And so they're investing in these players and it's driving their prices up. And, and I think that it's going to play out for the rest of the season. Um so I'm, I'm loaded up, and I, and I've talked about that, and I, I did an episode on some of the players I was in, investing in. I'm going to uh, circle back to that a little bit today because the main segment today, I'm going to go back to last week's episode, and I'm really going to flesh out what my – I've spent a lot of time this week talking about what my strategy is going to be moving forward and how I'm going to approach collecting and investing. So I'm just going to lay out my strategy, put it out there, comment on it, criticize it, um, use pieces of it for yourself. And I've been consuming a lot of content over the last couple of months, and I've been trying to pull pieces from other people and, uh, and other strategies to, um, to kind of develop what I want to do as a collector and as, as an investor. And I'm going to talk really specifically too about how I'm approaching the investment side of cards and what that, what that means to me. And I think investing and collecting can mean different things to different people. Um, but so I'm going to, I'm going to talk uh, a good bit about that and and pull out some specific examples from the card world. Um, you know, the other thing yesterday that sort of got lost in the NFL shuffle is, guys, the Denver Nuggets may be playing the Lakers in the, in the Western Conference Finals because, you know, twice now, two games in a row, they've been down. Twice now, they have just played really solid fundamental basketball down the stretch and come back and won two games that they really shouldn't have won. Uh, I'm not betting against Denver in Game 7. And... It'll be interesting to see what that does for uh, some of the card prices out there, especially uh, Kawhi Leonard. Um, but man, Denver and Denver could give LA something, the Lakers something in in a Western Conference Finals too. I really think that um, you know the Jokic AD matchup would be really interesting. Um, I don't know. 
I, I, I kind of look forward to a potential Denver Lakers Western Conference Finals um, in the East. You know, the big takeaway is that this, this I think, is really Jason Tatum's coming out party, and he is turning into the superstar that a lot of folks in the hobby thought that he was when they were investing in his cards. Um, you know, Tatum, Tatum's legit. And this this is now finally on a national stage, his opportunity to 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 come out. It's his coming out party, and, and it's a lot of fun to watch. It really, really is. Um, Houston, and I was down on them, and I talked about being down on them, and and... I'm not a Houston fan. I'm I'm not a Harden fan. As a matter of fact, I'm the opposite of a fan. I'm a Harden hater. I just don't think that his his game is ever going. To, he can't. He's never going to be the guy on a championship team, in my opinion. Uh, and you saw that uh, again this week. And interesting post on Instagram, and I don't remember who shared it, but talking about James Harden and why his his numbers don't translate into hobby success and. I saw an interesting breakdown on Instagram, and I, w- I would credit the person that that uh, that posted it, but I didn't screenshot it, and I can't remember. But he gets all of his points at the free throw line. You know, yeah, he can hit some big threes, um, especially with that step back move that's really a travel. But you know, he's a guy who thrives on driving into the lane, throwing up a wild shot, creating contact, overacting, getting to the free throw line and scoring like, you know, 15 points a game at the line, 16 points a game at the line. Nobody wants to watch that. And I don't think anybody wants to buy cards of a guy that plays like that. I don't think that James Harden will ever be a big hobby guy. I really don't. Um, And I think that's why. And I really watched that series with the Lakers with a critical eye. And I just I don't I don't think his game is fun to watch, and I don't think that it makes his cards fun to collect. And that's it's as basic for me with James Harden as just that. He's not fun to watch, so he's not fun to collect. You know who is who's fun to watch? Jason Tatum was fun to watch, right? Jason Tatum was fun to watch in the Eastern semis. He's going to be fun to watch in the in the finals against the Heat. You know LeBron's fun to watch. Guys like that. James Harden not fun to watch. So. My two cents on James Harden. Um, baseball, I didn't pay a lot of attention to baseball this week um, because I was so wrapped up in the NBA and the NFL and college football. Um, however, I will say uh, a guy that I love a guy and a guy that I collect both from a collecting and an investing, and there's, there's crossover there, right? But a guy that I have a lot of stock in, let's just put it that way, is Matt Chapman because I think Matt Chapman has the ability to be at the end of his career, considered one of the all-time greats. He's a two-time gold glove winner. Uh, He's a little bit like Nolan Arenado in that he plays great defense at third base. He can knock the cover off of the ball, and he plays in a small market, right? And as as a guy who grew up a George Brett fan, I can appreciate that. Great defense at third, hit the cover off the ball, uh, and played in Kansas City. Uh, although Kansas City made some some World Series in the early 80s and and put Brett on a national stage, um, you know, there's a stark difference between Kansas City and New York, right? So Matt Chapman's a guy that I really like, and I really think at the end of his career, he's going to be considered uh, in that top tier of uh, third baseman all time. And he's going to be up there with with guys like Mike Schmidt and George Brett. I truly believe that. So I've been buying his cards. Uh, he's out for the rest of the season. Uh, hip surgery. Pay attention to Matt Chapman card prices because his card prices will start to drop now that he's not playing and he's not in the conversation anymore. You know the the 
the passing fancy guys are going to forget about Matt Chapman, scoop up Matt Chapman, both from a long-term and medium-term standpoint, because he's going to come back next year. He's he was he was hitting okay. I think he was hitting around 230, but with a really bad hip. He's going to come back healthy next year. He's going to go on a tear, and you're going to be able to make money off of Matt Chapman. I promise you that. Um, and I, I don't do the whole, like, here are my hot tips, like, buy this card. But I'm just saying, as someone who follows sports and who understands how these things work, and a lot of us do, I'm not better than anybody else, but Matt Chapman's going to come back strong next year, and when he does, his card prices are going to start to go up again. So you're going to be able to benefit off of the drop that he's about to see because of missing the rest of the season. Um, my other note, by the way, from football is that uh, this Cam Newton thing might work out in, in New England because uh, Josh McDaniels uh, has designed an offense that is going to take advantage of Cam's very specific skill set. And you saw it yesterday. They're not going to throw the ball a ton. This is not the Tom Brady offense, but Cam is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um I'm not in on the Cam Newton card market. I don't have any Cam in my portfolio. Um, I'm, I don't even regret that I don't. It's just not one that I really got into. Um, but uh, a really sharp uh, Cam Newton uh, first year in New England card uh, might not uh, be a bad thing to to pick up because I think he's if he stays healthy, he's going to have a big year, and that's a team that could win the they could win the AFC East. They really could. I think a lot of people are talking about Buffalo and and you know Josh Allen had a really nice game yesterday and his card prices have uh, have uh, shot up in the last day or so um, in that top ten. I think he's just outside of it on on uh, uh, card stock, uh, but uh, his uh, his cards are trending up uh, as of this morning. Um, PSA 10 going for around $900 this morning. So um, do do with that what you will. Uh, but Josh Allen in line for a big year. But I still think New England uh, could have a big year. Um, I threw some cards up yesterday, um, put them up for auction based on performance, and I'm doing it just as a test. I want to see how this, how this plays out. Uh, you know, DeAndre Swift, I had a little bit of uh, DeAndre Swift. So I pulled some of those out, uh, threw those up. Uh, second round rookie running back uh, for the Detroit Lions. Uh, he did have a drop at the end of the game, but he had a touchdown. He played well. Uh, and also, uh, DK Metcalf had a nice game, scored a big touchdown on a fourth and one play. Uh, I threw some DK uh, Metcalf up uh, for sale yesterday as well uh, on eBay. And I just want to see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that out. And I, I, I had two options. I could go... Well, you have a lot of options. I mean, I could throw it up for buy it now, but I wanted to I wanted to test out the 24-hour versus the seven-day uh, auction. I put these up for seven-day auction because I want to see what happens this week. What I'm really interested in is how the talking head universe and the the press that some of these guys are going to get for the course of a week leading up to, to the next week's games affects card prices. So rather than do the 24-hour and just see what happens the day of a performance, I put them up for a week and I just want to see. I want to I want to I want to track them and see if there's interest at a at a week-long level in the NFL because of the the gap between games. My theory is that that's going to be a sound strategy, but I don't know until I try. 
and I've got you know I've got some cards that I can just kind of I I can just throw them out there and, and see what happens and I can take the L if I if I need to just to test out a couple of of theories and and strategies um, because I don't know that there's a silver bullet right I don't know you know sometimes I think that putting up a, a slightly high buy it now price and accepting offers is a sound strategy. Um, it's easy peasy. Uh, you either accept or, or decline the offer, but you accept the offer, you ship the cards out and you're done. Um, I really want to see though, how a week of NFL media cycle impacts card prices. Um, because I think there's going to be a lot of talk about some of these guys this week based on performance and based on next week's matchups. So, uh, I, I'm trying to approach that with a, with a critical eye. Um, Let's get into the main segment today, uh, and it, it it's going to be it could it could potentially be kind of lengthy, um, so I'm I'm just going to jump right into it early because I don't want this to be some 50 minute uh, podcast. Um, so I got into this conversation last week on the show about about strategy, and and I said you know part of my job involves writing strategic plans and and executing strategic plans. So I'm I'm approaching my collecting and investing with the same. Uh, the same mindset. Am I am I being strategic about it? Do I have a strategy and do I follow the strategy? And I firmly believe that if you have a strategy, if you have a plan, you have to follow the plan. You have to if you if you're going to take the time to put a plan together, follow it. And don't and the plan helps you even if it's not written out. The plan helps keep you on your path and it keeps you from getting distracted by shiny things. And I figured out in my collecting that I was, I am very easily distracted by shiny things. Oh, there's a new set out. Let me buy a bunch of it and see what I get. Eh, maybe not the, the best strategy. Um, so I have kind of written out in bullet point fashion. I didn't write a full strategic plan. Like I'm not that much of a strategic plan nerd, but, uh, but I, I've, I've written out some bullet points. I've, I've put some some pen to paper on this because I want to hold myself accountable. I want to keep myself on track and I want to, I want to be thoughtful and deliberate about where I'm going with my card purchases and what I'm holding, what I'm selling, what I'm keeping long-term. So just like with the podcast and I lined out in episode one of, of the podcast, like why I'm doing this. And the number one reason that I'm doing the podcast and frankly, the number one reason that I'm in this hobby at all and that I buy cards and collect cards and take the time to organize and sleeve and, and store cards is because it's fun for me. So goal number one, whether it's with the podcast or it's with the collecting, it's have fun. Like I love sports. And I've said numerous times on this podcast that you have to have, I think, a love of sports to be successful at this. You know, this isn't, this isn't flipping sneakers, a la you know, the old sneakerheads. For me, this has real meaning. You know, my collecting goes back it's forty years, and it's a it's a tie to my grandfather, and 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 I, I've grown up with a love of sports. So for me, the the hobby and the card collecting is just the next iteration of that. It's an extension of my love of sports. So I'm here to have fun. I'm not here to make money. I, I want to make enough money to fund my collecting, but I'm here to have fun. Um, so I've I sat back this week and took a really long look at all of these 
monster boxes and storage boxes and binders and, and just this entire room full of stuff. And I thought, you know what? I, I probably have too much. I don't need all of this stuff. I don't want all of this stuff. At one point I did, but that was when I was very unfocused and I was just, I was one of those guys, man, that fell into the trap of just buy everything and collect everything and keep everything. And you can't do that. And I listen to a lot of guys and there are a lot of guys on YouTube and on podcasts and on Instagram that I really, really like. And I love their collections, but they're, they're almost too focused for me. I, I can't be a guy that collects just one or two players because that's not how I enjoy sports. I enjoy sports in the aggregate and, and taking the macro view. And, and there are a lot of players that I like, and there are a lot of memories that I have. So I'm never going to be the guy that just collects one or two guys. I can't be like the Luca show. My, one of my top two or three favorite YouTube shows is the Luca show. And I've talked about it extensively on here, but, uh, G collects, um, mainly Luca, as you would expect, and Steph Curry, um, Chris, House of Jordans, Jordan, Luca. Like those guys have great collections, and I'm learning so much just by listening to those guys and hearing them talk about their cards. But that's not me, and that's not how I would have fun in the hobby. Like if I only collected Damian Lillard and Nolan Arenado, who are probably my two primary PC guys playing currently in baseball and in, in, uh, uh, basketball, that wouldn't be fun for me. Um, so I'm never going to be that guy that goes like real deep on one guy and the whole collection is focused on one or two guys. Like That's not going to be me because, because that's not fun for me. What's fun for me is buying a lot of things, but I've realized over the last week or two that I have too much. So, and I heard someone say this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, Sell off everything you don't love and start over. So I'm taking that tack a little bit. I am taking that tack a little bit. I'm, I'm methodically going through boxes and I'm just going to gradually start putting things up on eBay and putting things out in the world and just liquidating. Um, because if it doesn't have some type of meaning to me or I don't think that it has long-term potential, why am I holding on to it? Why do I have it? And I, I'd i give you a specific example, but there are too many of them to even for one to, to break through in, in any kind of clarity. But I just have too much stuff. And I think a lot of us probably fall into that category of just having too much stuff. Um, so again, if it doesn't have emotional, if I don't have an emotional attachment to it, and an example there is a couple of weeks ago, I talked about going back and buying cards of guys that played in the 1995 AFC championship game, Pittsburgh versus the Colts, Steelers Colts, uh, you know, the Jim Harbaugh uh, led Colts that nearly came back and won at Three River Stadium in the fourth quarter, a great game. And I talked extensively about it and the memory of watching that game with my college roommate and my buddies and how that really great memory led me to go out and buy a bunch of cards, you know, cheap, uh, online, you know, picking up, uh, Neil O'Donnell and, and Cordell Stewart and Ernie Mills and, and some of those guys from the, from the Steelers that played in that game. Like those cards have no long-term value, but they have emotional meaning. So those cards stay. Um, and then there are a lot of cards that I don't have any emotional attachment to, but I do believe that they've got some mid to long-term value. So they stay anything else is going to go 
in some way, shape, or form, whether it be in trade, whether it be in sale, I, I'm I'm going to work toward liquidating that, and I'm going to take the money and put it into things that have meaning or have some potential long-term values. So that leads then to this concept of investing. And what I'm trying really hard to do, and some of this may sound basic and sound obvious, and I apologize if it does, but for me, it was almost like I got hit in the head with a hammer this week and some things became clear. Um, I'm trying to delineate between short, mid, and long-term investments. What am I holding and how, how long am I holding it? And what am I just trying to flip? And I think that's where I've said multiple times, you've got to have a love of sports. I think that's where the love of sports comes in. Is if you have a love of sports and you watch sports and you're knowledgeable about sports, some of this becomes obvious. You see guys that you think have long-term potential. Um, here's an example from yesterday. Um, that DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray connection in Arizona. Kyler's exciting. Um, I know that there are a lot of guys out there that are really in on Kyler. I'm not, it's not that I don't like him, but he's just not a guy that I'm personally going to invest or collect in. Uh, but I think Kyler has long-term value. Um, I think Kyler is a guy that if he stays healthy, healthy, and if this offense works out the way I think a lot of us do. I think he's a guy that in a few years is going to be in that discussion of the the current great quarterbacks. He's going to be up there with Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and some of those guys. Um, so I think that Kyler is a guy that if you have Kyler, Kyler's got long-term value. Then I look at a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and I'm, I'm, pretty heavily invested in DeAndre Hopkins going into the season because I feel like he can have a really great season catching the ball from Kyler. I did not put any DeAndre Hopkins up for sale yesterday because I think that this is going to last all season. So I'm going to wait. So I'm going to look at, at DeAndre Hopkins as a medium-term hold, and I'm going to let him build a resume on the season and then start the sell-off, but not sell everything, hold back, because I think that the potential just increases week to week. So I look at a guy like DeAndre Hopkins as a medium-term hold. Like I'm not trying to flip him based off of yesterday's performance, but I'm also not thinking that I'm going to hold him for several years because there's long-term value out there, right? So that would be, in my mind, a medium-term hold, and that's kind of where he is in my portfolio right now. Now, on the other far end of that spectrum, if a guy like Andy Isabella in Arizona pops off and has a really great game, I'm going to throw a bunch of his stuff online immediately to see what I can get out of it. So I'm trying to look at my investment strategies in that through that lens. What am I what am I keeping long term? What am I holding until I feel like the time is right? And then what am I just flipping the first opportunity that I get? Um, and I'm I, I really want to do less and less of that, but I'll I'll come back to that uh, momentarily. The other thing that I'm trying to do is diversify the portfolio to mitigate that risk, right? Like so I talked a lot about the receivers that I'm high on this year and the running backs that I'm high on this year. Um 
you know, Hunter Renfro is a guy that I really like. There's two or three guys in Indianapolis. And I know Indy took the loss yesterday, but that's going to be – you. if you watched that game, that's going to be a good football team this year. I'm still bullish on Indianapolis. I'm still high on Phillip Rivers in that offense uh, with, you know, Frank Reich as his head coach. They've got just a ton of really talented wide receivers. Um so let's use the example there when I talk about diversifying my portfolio to mitigate that risk. I bought up a bunch of guys cheaply, very, very cheaply in the Indianapolis offense. And I also bought, for a couple of those guys, a lot of their stuff, right? So I'm in on T.Y. Hilton, and I'm in on Michael Pittman Jr., and I'm in on uh, Paris Campbell, and I'm in on Zach Paschal. I mean, I went four deep in the receiver position. Um, if Zach Pascal has a two touchdown, 150 yard game anytime in the near future, his stuff's going up online. Um, but then I also like at an individual level, um, I bought up a bunch of Michael Pittman Jr. because I think he's exciting and I think he's got potential. So if he has a good game, I'm going to pull some out and sell it, hold some to see what happens. And, you know, I know from a price point standpoint where I have to sell to make my money back. And then past that, it just becomes profit. So if his prices go up or down after that initial sell-off, I'm still protected because my goal is to make my money the first one or two sell-offs. I mean, it's like the stock market, right? It really is. So I'm, I'm sort of layering my investments and, and putting tiers and it, it's not necessarily going as far as a stop loss, but you know, if I if I make close to my money back on the first sell-off of Michael Pittman Jr., then I've got some room to take some more risks later in the season with the rest of the portfolio of Michael Pittman Jr. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about this from an investment side. And then I just my, I'm going to stick to my plan, and I have to be willing. I have to know and and be okay with the fact that sometimes I'm going to take a loss, and sometimes investments aren't going to pan out. And it's how you respond to that, I think, that becomes critical. And here's a real-world example of understanding that not everything's going to pan out, and it's how you respond. Two guys that I bought into going into the season, Miles Sanders in Philadelphia and Hakeem Butler in Arizona. And I, I, I bought the hype on Hakeem Butler and I got into Hakeem Butler for, um, you know, not a ton of money, but a bunch of inventory, right? I was buying football cards up several weeks ago before the prices started to jump and I was getting, you know, dollar, dollar fifty cards in bulk, uh, raw and just planning to flip raw. I mean, that's my strategy. I'm not, you know, the whole grading process is a, is a mess right now. And I'm just not, I'm not going to go back down this road on the show today because, we all understand what's going on in the grading world, and it's an impediment right now. So I'm just not dealing with it. But anyway, back to Miles Sanders and Hakeem Butler. Um, that strategy is not paying off right now. Miles Sanders is hurt, not sure when he's going to come back. Hakeem Butler got cut. You know, I bought up before final cut down, and Hakeem Butler was a guy that I was kind of high on, and he got cut. So now what do I do? Well, I'm going to stick with Miles Sanders. I'm going to keep the cards, but I'm probably just going to try to dump the Hakeem Butler for cents on the dollar just to get out of it because I, I don't have any confidence that he's going to get be a, a successful NFL wide receiver right now. Um, so 
and I have no emotional attachment to Hakeem Butler. It was just a guy that I, I, I ran a play because I had a gut feeling and the gut feeling didn't pay off. Um, so I am going to just try to liquidate the Hakeem Butler for what I can get out of it and, and move on. Uh, because I don't want to spend time on a guy that I either don't believe in or don't have some kind of emotional attachment to. So that's really my investment strategy. That's how I'm going into this. Um, there's a there's a, a another component to it that I'll get to at the end because I'm going to talk a little bit about rip and wax and how that plays into what my long what my strategy for collecting and investing is. But let's come back to let's go now to collecting. You know that's my investment side. It's 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 liquidating the things that I don't have any kind of attachment to or I don't believe in as good long term investments. And then when I, I am looking at these investments, are they short, mid, or long-term kind of guys? Collecting for me is all about emotion. It's all about sets, teams, players that I have an attachment to or that I love to watch play. You know, it's why I was it's why I bought an Ernie Mills rookie card. He's a, a middling wide receiver for the Steelers in the early nineties. And it's why I, I bought an Ernie Mills rookie card because I have an emotional attachment to Ernie Mills because he caught a great over-the-shoulder pass at the one-yard line that led directly to a Bam Morris touchdown that put the Steelers in the Super Bowl. So that's why there are a couple of Ernie Mills cards in top loaders in a box in my hobby room because that's a great memory. And one day I'll flip through that box and I'll see that card and I'll have that memory and, and, and I'll smile. And, and that's what it is about for me. So it's, you know, it's players, it's teams, it's sets that I have attachments to. I will never, ever get rid of any 1980 Topps baseball card. Well, I don't want to say never. Like if I had the opportunity to, to get rid of some, some stuff that I have tons of, yeah, sure I will. But by and large, like I'm, I'm going to hang on to 1980 Topps baseball cards because it's my all-time favorite set. Um, you know, I have a hard time. When I open wax and I pull a Pittsburgh Pirate, I'm five years old again, and I, or six years old again, and I'm just putting them in a pile. Like the Pirates are one of the right current. This current Pirates team, by the way, guys, is and I've seen some bad baseball in Pittsburgh. It's one of the worst baseball teams I've seen in a long time. And I, there are a couple of guys that I really like. I like uh, I like Josh Bell an awful lot. Um, a couple of other guys on that team that I I like. Key Brian Hayes is a guy I'm super high on. But right now, the baseball that they're playing, I think they lost 11 nothing yesterday to the Royals. Um, it's a bad baseball team. But when I open product and I pull anybody in a Pittsburgh uniform, it goes in a stack. And it sits there. And I'll build the team set and then you know get rid of the rest of it somehow, some way, even if it's just boxing up my commons and base cards and giving them to a local children's charity. Um, they won't stay. But... I'll build the team set before I do that because I love the pirates and I've always loved the pirates and I'm always going to love the pirates no matter how terrible they are. So uh, that's part of my collection. It's not an investment by any stretch of the imagination, but it's part of my collecting because it's what makes me happy. It's fun for me. Remember that word fun. Um, I also enjoy creating lists. I talked a couple of weeks ago about my, my collection, my list of the first black player on every major league baseball team, the guy that integrated each team. And I'm trying to buy, I'm trying to collect the first card of all of those guys. 
and and that's fun for me because that's that's something that I'm interested in, social justice, and it, it ties directly into my love of sports. So I, I I create those lists and I build them. I'm I'm trying to buy the rookie card of every major league hall, baseball hall of famer inducted since 1980, and I think that 1980 class includes Willie Mays. So I mean I'm in, into it for some heavy hitters, but I'm I, I've built that list. I've created that Google spreadsheet, and I'm working my way through it because that's a collection that I think would be fun to accumulate. Now that has investment opportunity as well because you're collecting rookie cards of of the best of the best. So one day that will have long-term value, but in the immediate future, that's just a fun list for me to collect. So that's what I'm doing. I have a, a box full of cards of guys that played major league baseball players that have played in major league baseball that were born in West Virginia. And I have an entire sheet that I got from baseball reference and copied and pasted. And you can look at players by what state they were born in. So I have an alphabetized list of every major league baseball player born in history, born in the state of West Virginia. And I'm going through and, and putting together that collection. Because that's fun for me. Some of it has some value. George Brett was born in West Virginia. Uh, shout out to Glendale. But, you know, then there's a, a whole bunch of guys that, that don't have long-term value. Uh, current Milwaukee Brewer, who had a nice week last week, Jed Jerko, born in West Virginia. Grew up in, in Morgantown. I actually called uh, some of his high school games on the radio uh, many years ago in a different lifetime. So it's fun for me. Um, L.A. Dodgers uh, catcher from the 70s and 80s, Steve Yeager, born in Huntington, West Virginia. So I've got this collection. So that's a, that's collecting for me, and that's the fun part of collecting. It's There's a tie between my love of sports and something else that I love, the state of West Virginia, and it goes into a piece of my collection. So that's part of my collecting strategy as well. Um, I, I, I pick up cards of, of West Virginia University alumni. Uh, and that's something that all the Murrays and I were talking about on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, uh, and I talked about it on the show the other day. Um, if you went to WVU and you have a card, I'm looking for it. So that that to me, it doesn't have a lot of long-term value uh, in most cases, but it is, um, it's what I enjoy about the hobby. It's those little personal collections. And then I want to look at, a limited number of current players in each sport and a limited number of retired players that have significant meaning to me. Um, you know, I talk a lot in basketball about Dame Lillard. Uh, I'm also a big jaw fan. So, you know, Dame and jaw are guys that I'm buying up, um, in football. Um, and he had a really great game yesterday. Russell Wilson. I think they're taking the, the, they're, they're putting their foot on the pedal in that Seattle offense. Um, and there was a lot of talk in the offseason about Russ wanting to play wide open like they play in the fourth quarter when they're down and just play like that from the beginning of the game. And they did that a little bit yesterday, and it worked out. And Russ had a nice game. DK Metcalf had a nice game. Um, Chris Carson had a really great game at the running back position. Um, so Russ is a guy uh, that I really like in football. Uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, is another guy down in Houston that I'm I'm really high on, so I'm I'm looking at uh, maybe PCing Deshaun Watson. Um, 
rookie quarterback that I'm really high on, not necessarily this year, but moving forward in the future, and that I'm thinking about PCing is Justin Herbert in uh, San Diego. Uh, when you look at what he did in college, um, he had a really, really good college career, had three different uh, coaches throughout his college career and multiple schemes and was successful in all of them. And that shows to me that he's got a ton of talent and a ton of resiliency. I think he's going to sit behind Tyrod Taylor for the time being. But when he gets his opportunity, I, he's a guy that I look at that could be special in the NFL. So I'm keeping an eye on him and kind of holding his stuff long-term because I think there might be some long-term value there. And in baseball, I talk all the time about Nolan Arenado. I talked earlier in this episode about Matt Chapman. Uh, I've talked about Fernando Tatis as a guy who's busted onto the scene for me this year that I now truly believe in. And then I also really like Cody Bellinger and Juan Soto. So those are guys that I, I PC in baseball. And baseball is my favorite sport. So I go a little deeper with my individual PCs in in Major League Baseball. And then retired players, I focus on retired players uh, that I that I grew up watching that I loved. Um, Willie Stargell, Dave Parker were my two favorite players as a kid. Uh, George Brett was my all-time favorite player and the first non-pirate that sort of rose into that um, stratosphere. And then the other guy that I really loved uh, was Roger Clemens. And we can have the debate, but no one can convince me that Roger Clemens wasn't the greatest pitcher of that generation performance enhancing PEDs be damned Roger Clemens was the best pitcher in baseball at that time it's it's Clemens and Maddox and then the rest is not even close for me personally um football I grew up a Steelers fan my all-time favorite player as a kid was Terry Bradshaw uh second to that very closely was Franco Harris and then the first non-Steeler that I really loved was Joe Montana so I'm I'm gonna make the commitment to build a Joe Montana PC because I'm kind of back into football now. Um, and then basketball, I've talked about this before, I'm sure, but uh, Isaiah Thomas, all-time favorite player, Grant Hill, uh, Chauncey Billups. Um, Jack Sigma is a guy that I've always just liked for some odd reason. And then on the cusp of retirement is Carmelo Anthony. So those guys, I, those are the retired players that I that I specifically focus on. Um I went through this stretch a couple of years ago where I was just buying all kinds of stuff. And I've got a ridiculous like auto and patch collection of guys that I don't really care about. So that's all going to get liquidated. And I'm going to try to remain focused, especially when it comes to the retired players. If there's not some emotional connection, then it's not something that I'm going to, uh, that I'm going to put my money into. Um, I just love I I love the history of sports and I love historical footnotes. So sometimes I will buy cards that tie to a specific historical footnote. I'm also enamored with Halls of Fame. And I've I've been to the NFL Hall of Fame, I've been to the Major League, I've been to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um and so I have a I feel a special connection to players that are in the Hall of Fame. That's why I'm building this Major League Baseball inducted since 1980 collection of rookies, right? Because there's something special about the history of sports. Um, anybody that played for Pitt, for a Pittsburgh team in the mid-70s to mid-80s is, is a guy that I'm going to probably... St- I've got Pittsburgh Pirate team sets that date back to 1971 up through 1987. Um, that That's because, because I have fond memories of, of a lot of those guys. 
Um, so beyond what I just talked about, everything else is liquid to me now. Uh, and it's going to be an endeavor, but that's where I'm going to go. Every, everything that I don't love is, or I don't believe in long-term is liquid. Um, and finally, and this is for some, I think a, an area of, um, for some it's, I think it's an area of disagreement, but for me, wax has a place in my strategy. And wax has a place in my strategy for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think ripping wax, whether it's retail or hobby, and I'm going to throw breaks into this too, watching breaks, it's fun for me. And if all of this comes down to the to the 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 main factor of I want to have fun, then I'm going to open wax. I'm going to I'm going to put money into retail and hobby. I'm going to buy into breaks because that's fun. There's a thrill to it. And for me, it's also very nostalgic. I mean, I grew up busting packs. I mean, I busted packs when I was a little kid almost every day. I would go to the corner store and buy a pack or two of baseball cards almost every day. So for me, busting product is fun and nostalgic and there's a thrill to it. But then it comes down to what do I do with it? Do I flip it? Do I hold it? Do I put it in my PC? Do I flip Do I flip it immediately? Well, and there's a fourth option that I'll wrap up with. But do I, you know, if it's, if it's Henry Ruggs, if I'm opening football and it's Henry Ruggs or it's Jerry Judy, do I, I, do I just flip it? Or if it's Kyler Murray, do I hold it? Or if it's Russell Wilson, it does it go in the PC, right? So if ripping product is fun, then I just have to figure out like how to do that. And, I, and it's, it also comes down to how much of my budget I put into that. And I can't overspend on that. And I'm still trying to figure the budget part of it out. But from a strategy standpoint, wax can be a part of your strategy. It just, where do the cards go when you bust the packs? And by having this strategy lined out that I've talked about probably in way more detail than most of you want to hear, by having that strategy, then then ripping packs works its way in. And then the other thing that I'm going to do because I feel very strongly about this and I'll wrap up with this is for commons, base cards, things that I don't think I can sell for for profit, I want to I want to give those away. I've identified a couple of youth charities near where I live that have kids that when we're not in a a, a global pandemic, you know, they have kids that come in and I just want to put these cards in the hands of kids to play with and look at and maybe one day they'll grow up and collect cards and start a podcast about cards and talk about cards and love cards the way I do. So I'm just I'm I've identified some youth charities that I can donate the cards to and the kids can just have them and do what they will with them. Play with them, trade them, build card houses with them. I don't I just want I want kids to have access to cards because that is something that I do worry about. I worry about, and I, I'm, I've talked about this before too, I worry about the fact that we've now created something in the hobby that isn't accessible to kids. So I'm going to donate my cards, some of my cards, to children's charities so that the kids can have them. Now, I don't know that they really want a 1985 or 87 Donruss R.J. Reynolds, but maybe they do. 
and maybe it'll cause them to look at that and say, who's RJ Reynolds? And they'll look it up and I don't know, but I just know that I want to put cards in the hands of kids. So that's as I wrap this up, that's a part of the strategy as well. Um, is, you know, what I don't liquidate, I donate. And that had a nice rhyme to it unintentionally. So there you go. That's my, that's my strategy for what I'm doing with my cards moving forward. And if you listen to this and, and listen to the whole thing, God bless you. Um, find me on Instagram at WV cardboard, uh, hit me up through the anchor website for the show. Uh, and, and just shoot me a message. And, uh, uh, the email address is wvcardboard at gmail.com. Uh, shoot me a message. Let's chat. Let's talk cards. Do you want to trade? Do you want to sell me something? I, don't, let's ju- I just want to talk to guys about cards, and I've been doing that, and it's so much fun, and I just want to continue it. So thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. And until then, enjoy sports. Enjoy the hobby. Enjoy your cards. Love you guys. And I'll talk to you next week. Connect with Mountain State Cardboard on Instagram at WV Cardboard. Our theme music is performed and produced by John Ingram. Visit our show page on Anchor, anchor.fm slash WV Cardboard. This podcast is a member of the 3BG Podcasting Network, a production of 3BG Media. All rights reserved.